Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always with the Tchaikovsky and Beethoven to my Duka. Oh man, we're going complete nerd today, aren't we? I mean, are there any characters in this world, Jared? Um, Satan is here. No, he's not. That's Chernabog. But uh, anyway, I don't know too much about some of those composers, but I will be one of them regardless. I'm Matt. And this week, we're going to visit the coolest world concept in all of Dream Drop Distance, Symphony of Sorcery, based on Disney's Fantasia. All right, so I feel like we, that was a great time to talk about Fantasia, which we haven't had a chance to quite as much anymore. Uh, we had a little bit when we were talking about the fight with Chernobog back in Kingdom Hearts 1, but this is the first time it really comes into full vision. I feel like back then we were really just talking about how Chernobog almost was the final boss of Kingdom Hearts. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fantasia is definitely one of the more unusual things Disney ever made. Yeah, it really is. The original Fantasia was Disney's third animated feature like it was one of the first things ever made it was a bit of walt disney's it was kind of like his pet project to some degree like a stage first created the sorcerer's apprentice as a mickey return story and then disney realized he could make a feature film of multiple musical segments he really thought this could be like their big concert series like they could rotate in new segments repeatedly and just keep fantasia going Unfortunately, it didn't really profit, though part of that could have been World War II cut off the European market. So, yeah. And also they had to make new sound equipment just for it. Fantasia specifically is the work that inspired Tezuka Samu to get into his cartooning. So I will always love Fantasia, if only for that. I honestly like a lot of classical music in general, especially the more kind of bombastic pieces that Fantasia tends to lean towards. Like one of my favorite composers of, I think this is more neoclassical, I guess. I don't know what the the specific term for it is, but I really like Holst, you know, uh, the guy who did the planets. Holst, yes, Gustav Holst. I don't pretend to be good enough at knowing, because classical actually refers to a really specific time frame, like right Yeah, yeah, that's why I said it might, you know, there's classical, there's Baroque, there's there's all sorts of different genres. A lot of people hear classical music and they think of symphony orchestras, basically, and and, but it's it's way more specific than that. I mean, there's still people that try and compose in the general classical style, aren't there? Yes, but they wouldn't be considered classical composers because classical is a specific time frame. And okay. that's like I said, I believe Hulse actually is some of his works are called neoclassical because of that. Like yeah, he is yeah. much later in the classical period. So mm-hmm. it's that's one of those things where I am not the qualified person. Other people in my family say a lot more than that. So I just sort of know the basics of it. <laughs> well, it's, it's just kind of the electronic music iceberg. Most people have like. Oh, there's a couple electronic music tunes that I really like. If you really want to get into classifying electronic music, there's hundreds of classifications. So before we get into this uh, proper, I just want to pose like one little question to you. Other than The Sorcerer's Apprentice, what is your favorite Fantasia segment, Uh, including Fantasia 2000? Firebird. I think that's actually my favorite, too. I'm sorry, man, but Firebird Suite is such a really powerful piece. There's lots I love there, but that finale of Fantasia 2000 is one of the most impressive final builds that you can hear in music. I need to go watch that again. Uh, The one that comes to my mind when I just like think of Fantasia 2000, I think was what was it? Rhapsody in Blue? Oh, Rhapsody in Blue is a wonderful piece, but the reason why it sticks with me is it's just such a visually striking piece because they did such unique things with the animation style in that one. They did did, did do a really good 
stylized for a for a really really cute, well put together Great Depression uh, ensemble piece. But mm-hmm. Firebirds doing the literal like taking Denali and making it to a rebirth story. I always like the classical stuff with animation in general. You know, a lot of my favorite Looney Tunes stuff were the things where they leaned into a lot of the classical and opera type things. And then, you know, like a ton of a ton of cartoons, uh, Looney Tunes and stuff had, you know, very iconic cl- classical songs like In the Hall of the Mountain King. And mm-hmm. if it's on the public domain, I might just try and insert the music here uh, just to like. <laughs> spice up the soundtrack for this episode a bit, which we haven't been able to do before because I've been terrified of actually including Mm. music in the editing because of Disney. Special thanks to the Internet Archive at archive.org for all the public domain music in this episode. Speaking of In the Hall of the Mountain King, didn't... uh, Sorry, speaking of In the Hall of the Mountain King, didn't the original Fantasia have one of those? No. No, sorry. I, if you want me to go, if you want me to go through the list, I'm happy to do so. Do uh, original fine. Fantasia went through Takata and Fugue, Nutcracker, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Rite of Spring, Pastoral Symphony, Dance of the Hours, and then Night in Bald Mountain and Ave Maria combined. Oh, Night on Bald Mountain is the one I was thinking thinking yeah. of. Yes, very different pieces. They you could say they're in the same genre of moody darkness, but it was mm-hmm. the it was the mountain word that got me. And what was in 2000? Beethoven's Fifth. Pines of Rome, which is about whales flying. Like you do. Rhapsody in Blue, Piano Concerto Never Two. Uh, <laughs> sorry. The Carnival of the Animals finale, which is, you know, flamingos playing with uh, yo-yos. Yes, like you do. <laughs> A Return of Sorcerer's Apprentice, Pop and Circumstance, where Donald fucks up the flood. And Noah's Ark. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Piano Concerto Number Two is also known as Steadfast Tin Soldier, is a story I went with. And finally, mm. of course, Firebird. Got it. Cool. I think that's enough background for Fantasia. Let's talk about Symphony of Sorcery. <laughs> well, Sora's turn. Yep. So this time, like, as always, we we have to do a little dive to get in there. It's just a time attack to collect enough prizes. Nothing really stands out about it in my memory. We start with a scene directly from Fantasia as Mickey is doing a Sorcerer's Apprentice conducting dance. I believe he's doing the bit where he's yeah. on the cliff top conducting the stars and the uh, the stars, and, the water, all that. Yeah. Which is pretty great, but it's, just, it's 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 very much just Mickey dreaming shit. Yep, that's so uh, accurate. Yeah, Sora kind of thinks it looks cool, but it, it's clear that Mickey is getting lost in this magic. And then that asshole from Traverse Town, Spelican, shows up again. Remember that guy? Yeah, I mean, it's like the only thing that makes him a pelican is he's got a huge chin. Yeah, and it looks like a snail. Like he's like he's some sort of in the middle of the Uzumaki curse or something. Dear God, I kind of like the whole theme with. Clearly, Mickey is trying to learn to do all this cool stuff, but then he gets a taste of what it's like to have all of the, the power without being ready for it and goes overboard. So the Spelican blindsides Sora. Pops him over and he wakes up in Yen Sid's room, strangely enough. So Sora notices something's off pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, we got Mickey wearing his red robes and, and wizard's hat while he's surrounded by dark energy coming off him and also off the two stands of music behind him. Sorry, my brain just went back to Bash.org when you said a Robin Wizard hat. I'm sorry. <laughs> went to what? Do you remember that Bash.org? Did I, re- I do remember that one. I'm back. Like it is a IRC conversation about ERP. Of oh, no. Well, like, basically, if yeah. you don't remember Bash.org, it was basically a site that people uploaded 
It was basically out of context IRC conversations, the, the site. This particular one was an ERP where the girl is just like doing normal stuff. And then the guy breaks out. I put on my robe and wizard hat. Yes. Oh, Christ. <laughs> That's like the classic one. I put on my robe and wizard hat. And then, and then like, it, and it escalates into a future one. It's just like, oh, God, you again. I thought I blocked you. <laughs> oh, no. Then there's also uh, this one isn't quite as well known, I don't think. But what I think of these sorts of silly wizard things, I think of, I cast magic missile at the darkness. Of course. Oh, Everyone loves oh. Dead Isle Wives. <laughs> but, all right. It's so strange that there's a sequel that no one really pays attention to. Well, did the sequel get prominently featured on Dr. Demento? I don't think so. I, I think I think the first one did, and that's why it's popular. Anyway, um, let's get back to the episode. No, now you just got me thinking about that freaking weird out biopic. I need to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's worth watching it. And this is actually one where if you go in blind, there's value to it because they go places you're not going to expect. And if you're surprised, it's a little better. Nice. Mm. It's a type of it's a type of joke that works good if you're more surprised by it. So Excellent. back to this game, we have a sheet of music in front of Mickey that is emitting an evil aura that is keeping him trapped in the music. It's kind of a strange setting. The music's actually on two stands behind him. He's just doing his vague sleep conducting with his feet up on the table. Yep. And he doesn't really explain how this happened. He just says, like, the music's possessed. Like, well, and it's worth noting, like, he's not talking to Sora. He's speaking telepathically. How does Mickey get that ability? <laughs> well, I assume it's the power of the Mickey because he's trapped in the music dream. It's kind of created this uh, disembodiment for him, perhaps. When you're a wizard, you can do these things. Also, is Mickey dreaming with that he's in a dream? Dream Mickey. Oh, boy. Because keep in mind, we are in a sleeping world right now. So we have to go deeper. <laughs> Bwong. So- yeah, I was going to say, are we going to Inception Mickey now? Actually, kind of. Uh, no, not quite. Sora doesn't quite get what's going on. He thinks this is a world where Mickey was still in training. And he's probably right. Mm-hmm. And Mickey's like, wow, who are you? You have a keyblade. Yeah, Sora introduces himself as the apprentice because he doesn't quite understand what an apprentice well, is. And Mickey Files says, I'm the sorcerer's apprentice. And whose apprentice are you? Yeah, yeah. Mickey, Sora's just like, I'm the apprentice of... Uh, just tell me how I can save you, please. <laughs> I think Sora just realizes that he's not clever enough to... He's not clever enough to bullshit this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's the apprentice of whatever random idea he had, so... Sora has zero formal training, let's be clear. So, right. Sora tries to do... What's the term? Is I'm trying to think of the name that does is the Kaiser Soze or something like that. Oh, you try to do the verbal... You try to do the verbal kint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I am the apprentice of Mouse. No shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's nothing else in this room. <laughs> oh, it's char- It's it's Tom Table. <laughs> now we're going to the Jam Brady level of it. So Mickey says to dispel the darkness, we need a sound idea. And this. <laughs> Which is the opposite of an NFT. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. It's so good. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it, Mickey just kind of just says it's something you can get. Yep. It's an it's something you can get from a piece of music. Mickey summons a piece of music with his mind that we can get an idea from. It actually reminds me of the Alice in Wonderland world from Coded, where he was what they call it a logic. Oh, my God. What do they call it? I, I don't remember. Ooh, 
I've already blocked I, it from I, my memory. Man, I actually I know it's relevant, but I blocked it from my memory. About, but, um, I'm going to look uh, it up. I'm going to look it up and you can't stop me. Yeah, but I'm honestly, I'm pretty sure I'd be quicker than this. It was it was an inkling. Inkling. Oh, is it wrong to go play Splatoon? Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. So so I was just laughing about this because this is the second time that Kingdom Hearts has made a physical object you can hold in some way out of a mental metaphorical construct, you know, out of a pun yeah. even. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so Mickey. Yeah. So Mickey summons this music. It's different from the other music because it's surrounded by pink energy. And he explains yep. as a power sweeps away darkness. But in between the clefts and notes are monsters. So uh, what the hell is going on? Yeah, let's talk about what's going on here, please. I'm very confused. Why? Is, OK, what is happening here? I feel like we're getting a lot of focus on Mickey here right at the end, because I think they really want to tell these stories about Mickey, but they couldn't really justify it in the normal Kingdom Hearts world. So they use these sleeping worlds as an opportunity to do these things. I think you're right. Like, uh, like at this point now, I actually think we have a pretty good timeline of Mickey's entire history. Like we have his origin as a horrible prankster in the Timeless River, Uh, like either the. Musketeer world or this world are sort of like Mickey's time as an apprentice. I don't know which one first. Probably this one comes first. Then he marries Minnie, slowly turns Disney Town into Disney Castle. And then at some point, he just completely starts screwing things up, I'm afraid. Well, <laughs> he ditches all his friends so we can just run to the world of darkness, we find out. Yeah, somewhere around the time he's made Disney Castle, he runs off and starts doing his own thing. Just like he's King. still always kind of attached to Yen Sid, though, I, yeah. I kind of feel. So, yep. Yeah, I just imagine him showing up and Yen's just like, oh, Christ. <laughs> what did you do this time, Mickey? <laughs> Mickey, you've gone and done it again. I'll have your ears for this mouse. <laughs> I leave you a key playpen to crowd behind. You're off the case. <laughs> oh, no. You're a loose cannon, Mickey. <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> Well, I'm leaving now, boss. I got, you can't stop me here, but I'll see you real soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mickey Mouse, darkness detective. <laughs> That's pretty much how Kingdom Hearts Mickey works, actually. Yep. He knows all about the door to darkness. Yep. So the reality shift for this world is Melody Catcher, which is a quick rhythm game. It's kind of fun because it's kind of like you're seeing like a different background screen. And then, like, there's this traveling line that has, like, button pushes appear on it. It plays to the music. It's the best rhythm game we've had in Kingdom Hearts so far. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's pretty slow. Much like most reality shifts, you use it both to fight enemies and also for certain parts of progression. So it wears out its welcome fast. Yeah, um, it's one that, like, I use just because it's probably better than a lot of other things you can do a lot of the time, other than Balloon, maybe. Uh, but it still is, like, takes a bit of time out of your fun slow motioning around in here. Yeah. So I just I just lose my patience. I'd rather just start beating things with with a keyblade, even though all the enemies here are feel like HP sinks. Yep. Even a normal even a normal difficulty. They were definitely slow beat down enemies. Well, this is the final regular world before the finale, right? So. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Boy, there's a lot of new dream eaters in here that we're not going to talk about right now. <laughs> Everything's music based, and really to reflect that, the music is immediately different. Like when you first get into the world, it's playing Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, now you don't of, spend you don't spend a lot of time in the tower, so you won't like hear much of it probably. Right. We do uh, get a so, bit of context for how this whole mess starts with Mickey carting water barrels 
because, yeah. you know, physical labor. He notices Yen Sid's hat and he starts throwing magic to do his job recklessly. By the way, in the original, he's he's carrying that water to fill like an internal well inside the, like the basement of the tower. What's he do dragging it up to Yen Sid's office on the top floor? <laughs> I have no idea. I guess this is just sort of like a... You're the apprentice. I'm not going to actually teach you magic until you learn how to actually do hard work. It's basically the shonen mentor uh, style of teaching. I mean, it, it certainly is possible. I mean, like, he, he sees the hat, which, is, which you know, we just assume can be magic before. He puts it on and starts shooting co- colored lights everywhere. And then Spelkin shows up. Yep. And then Spelkin shows up, just like in the original Fantasia. <laughs> yeah, why ha- why have amazing multiplying brooms where you can accidentally make a portal that lets a horrible bird thing in? Are we playing Untitled Spelican game now? Oh no, are you nah. a horrible bird? Yeah. Anyway, oh dear. <laughs> so we enter the first musical realm with a little bit of a keyblade spin, opening up a path to another world inside the music, which is I, fascinating. <laughs> because this is the Pastoral Symphony, which used a lot of mythological imagery in the original Fantasia. So we're basically up in some weird fluffy cloud heaven. Yeah, yeah. Very Greek style. So you have like Mount Olympus style rock crags popping up. There's rainbows everywhere. And it's just like mm. you use these cloud paths. Wasn't it supposed to be kind of Elysium almost? It's very vague. I said the, the original Fantasia, a lot of the stories are very much just like uh, visual elements rather than full narratives. Like this one's a, yeah. very much just a revelry in the original and yeah. heavily censored. I was going to say a lot of these areas in in symphony of sorcery are very much just cool areas to show off the graphics to flow motion around through yep Mm -hmm. uh i want to point out like there's one really cool thing i like about this rather than uh sound effects for hitting monsters like you normally get and this one like you have cool little musical scenes and percussion crashes and all that's whenever you hit enemies like it sounds cool when you're playing this it has a really cool soundscape going through it and it's like Pastoral Symphony is a very peaceful bit. It doesn't have high tempo. It doesn't have high drama, at least not the way it's used in this. It's just kind of this peaceful exploration of the world. It kind of reminds me of, have you ever played Tetris Effect? I have not played it, but I've seen videos of it. It's a focus on music and, and connected visuals, and they do interesting yeah. things with the soundscape for all of the various things that you can do. So... They do the same sort of thing where you're creating a unique soundscape from this almost like a sound font for all of the actions that you can take. The only shame is they only put extra effort in kind of making everything sync up, which is hard to do in an action RPG. Yeah. But I wonder if there were ways to add more. Maybe not with the technology level they're working with. Yeah, I think Tetris Effect does the whole soundscape thing better. It just reminds me of they're trying to do that same sort of thing. Right. I want to make one quick little gameplay note here before we get on to uh-huh. the things, because there's not a whole lot of plot here. You can find Glide in the first area here. You know what's the most useless ability in Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance? <laughs> Glide. <laughs> you know why? Because we've been slow motioning everywhere. Yeah. Like, why do I need to glide when I can just bounce all over the place like a Super Ball? <laughs> yeah. The glide does uh, not get me anywhere that I couldn't already get before. Oh, no. Weird mental association just came in. Go for it. I was just thinking about the reality shift. I was thinking, huh, I just realized something that kind of reminds me of is the uh, sequence of the Honey Bee Inn. Hmm. You're right. <laughs> so now Sora's right. doing the horny dance with Andrea. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that feels like it's an age problem. Probably. <laughs> but I mean, everything's a problem in Honey Bee Inn. I'm glad that in Final Fantasy VII Remake, they actually just sort of like lean into making it. Rather than just making it the uh, CD, God knows what, like uh, 
Yeah, rather than making it a terrible brothel, let's make it a really cool party place that is good for both genders. <laughs> why, why not a psychotic burlesque show, which just is so over the top, you wonder how even Big Gar affords it. Yes. <laughs> why the fuck not, you know? Every area in here has a small traversal puzzle to solve. Nothing, nothing really extreme, but yeah. no, there's not really much plot here either, which is kind of yes. funny. It's mostly you just have to use the melody catcher like to open paths or park clouds or make new paths appear on rainbows. It's yeah. mostly stuff like that. It's charming. It's fun. You should play it. It's honestly my favorite world in this game. My main problem, like I said, the enemies are a real stone step up and nastiness. You got true. Like I said the, the enemies here more than fly. So you kind of have to you're fighting against them and their moat and their traversal powers. And they're real HP sinks and heavy hitters. So they, it just becomes very sloggy fights. Imagine that on critical mode. Yeah, I'd rather not. It is a bit of a pain on critical mode. <laughs> but eventually we make it to the hill in the fields that happens to have the sound idea. And that's when Crypto Hoodie shows up. This is the first plot we've had since we jumped into the music. This world is very much a visual and audio. And then we're going to do the scene. So easily you sink into the depths of slumber. Why are you here? Beautiful world, isn't it? Almost like a dream. Why are you following me around? You really haven't caught on? Or are you just assuming it's all part of your little test? I'm not part of the dream. And if you thought I was, then you're softer than they say. What? But this will all be over soon. Just who are you people? Sleep on and we will meet again. Hey! And he vanishes. What does that mean? <laughs> How sore Ed's most cutscenes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just, uh, just a weird guy in a cloak comes out and starts rambling plot bullshit at him that he doesn't understand. Which is basically Sora's life at this point. You lost me. <laughs> you lost I just, me. <laughs> I just kind of like that that this particular character just kind of shows up to berate him of you're not getting what's going on. I'm just going to start trying to spell things out for you, and you're still not going to get it, and then I'm going to laugh it, at you. I mean, my plan actually makes it better, you don't understand, but even I'm finding this pitiful. <laughs> I just kind of laugh about these scenes because, I mean, Sora never gets anything anyway, but he just seems to especially not get it right now. Yeah, well, I feel bad for whatever Riku or Kai must try to flirt with him. He's like, yeah, I, get, I know, I'm having a fun time too. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably they're probably working together at this point. It's like yeah, they, got, they, they probably got they probably got Megara and Thanatos Bay here. It's like we're not going to get the, we're not going to get the figures out unless you work together. Personally, I think <laughs> that when whenever Sora ends up becoming adult, he's going to be you know in that same category as Goku on that particular table of has had sex, does not know what sex is. Oh gosh, so he's gonna have two kids before he realizes what a kiss is. <laughs> I mean, is a Goku? I just don't think he also can form friendship. Sora's just like, yeah, these are things friends do. The guy's like, no, they they don't. Sora, <laughs> <laughs> two of, I just again, I'm imagining Kyrie and Riku keeping him, but just trying to keep him from doing something stupid with other friends at all times. Who has to keep Sora on the leash today? John, he's got the Rex problem. I love you and everybody. I mean, if you play the end of Xenoblade 3, he meant it. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, I've seen a war. I've seen a. I've seen a horrible little video where they take that and they 
they make it worse by first playing that scene and then showing the picture at the end and then photoshopping babies into all the other characters' hands, including oh, Grabs. No. Including oh, Grabs no. and Riku. And Dromark. You mean Tora. That's right. And, okay. and Dromark. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, he's not playing two digression. Go ahead, Matt. And three. And three. Like I said, I, I fully believe the three of them are perfectly good triple together, but Sora's just... Man, we went, I mean, to a keeps weird, we went to a weird direction here. He keeps running off with Donald and Goofy. Ah. <laughs> Donald, hey, Donald's in a committed relationship with someone who berates him constantly. Yes. Oof. Goofy has Goofy's a question mark. Does Goofy have a fa- have his family yet here? I don't think we've ever seen his family on screen. Well, it's also worth mentioning we never seen his wife ever, even in Goof Troop. Yeah. Ooh, good point. In, in Goof Troop and Goofy movie, they strongly imply he's a widower. So, uh oh. Oh no. Um, <laughs> just let's get I back to the left. story. Yep. After we get done with that scene, we get our sound idea, and we we go back to Mickey and Sora conducts the sound idea. Basically, he's like waving his keyblade around like a conductor's baton. Yeah, he's just kind of mouthy along, just going yee wee. Is how I would describe how he's kind of mouthing and just grinning and wildly sweeping yeah. the keyblade. A version of Dearly Beloved starts to play, but we find out that one sound idea is not enough. But mm. Sora knows that Riku's out there, and he believes in his friend. And luckily, a blue sound idea appears for him to conduct as well. Yeah, right next to Sora's pink sound idea, the two sound idea genders. <laughs> Oof, maybe no on that one. Maybe not on that one. Two forces are better than one, right, Riku? <laughs> so shit, it's trying to get a joke. Is like that's going to be his argument. He's a talk to. Just yep. speaking of of this sort of metaphor, though, I kind of feel like the whole metaphor of magic as conducting an orchestra kind of mm-hmm. stuck with a lot of people. Like because I feel like a lot of people end up doing that. The whole same thing with a conductor's baton. A wand as a conductor's baton from I mean, Fantasia. I mean, that goes all the way back to Lord of the Rings. Tolkien saw music and magic as synonymous concepts. Ooh, that's why there's so many true. epic poems. There's often talk about songs. In the creation of the Cimmerillion, the, the creation of the world is the song of the Ironer. Uh, the Ironer. Yeah, people, I, worse Tolkien nerds than myself are going to beat me for not knowing that pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> well, worse token nerds than you can fuck right off. Like there's Luth- there's Luthien and Sauron's epic music battle <laughs> during the, the tale of the Cimmerils. You are making Cimmerillion sound way cooler than it's ever sounded to me before. Well, it's it's basically <laughs> Tolkien's version of the Bible. That's why it's never sounded cool to me. I mean, it's try, but they, t- they they tell a story like about how their songs were the stuff of legends. This happened, but then but then Luthien fell and her form was revealed before Sauron. It's it's in that tone. It was also written by it was also written by his son from his notes too, which mm. and his son is not as good as him. It, I wouldn't say written. He compiled. Mostly half completed notes, so most of the text is Tolkien's words. It's just like uh, Christopher Christopher edited and condensed. So what you're saying is that the best version of the Cimmerillion is the one that would be the most musical one, which would probably be Blind Guardians, Nightfall, and Middle Earth. Oh, I love that album. It's a really good album. I love it too. Yes, I mean, it literally have the epic battle of the King of Elves against Morgoth himself, and that's just yep. great time standstill. Let's jump into this cursed music to fight this pelican. <laughs> yes. So we're going to different islands here because sources are apprentice picks back up as Sora is surfing on the sky. 
Yep. Yeah, we have. So phase one of this fight has us chase Spelican on a star slide in space. It's almost kind of like going on Rainbow Road in Mario Kart is what I is what my mind always thinks of when I see it. Mm-hmm. Rainbow Road. It's a Rainbow Road. A Rainbow Road. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> sucks. That sucks so bad. That's terrible. <laughs> please oh, make, yeah. Please make good lyrics for it. Such as a Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, <laughs> you have no horror, Jared. I, Oh man, you really want me to desecrate that? No, don't. <laughs> I mean, it's the best. It's the best honking bassoon piece out I know of. So don't make me sing to it. Okay, and you uh, have a chase fight fighting brooms and the spellican. Yeah. yeah, that's phase two. You're in this Star Trek warp space. Like there's streaking stars going past. For some reason, there's candy colored asteroids everywhere that you can climb on. Yep. It's like, Belkin, it's- he loves to summon monsters on you. Yep, he summons brooms from Sorcerer's Apprentice that you have to fight. He bombards you. Yeah, fortunately, like, even though he runs away, he has hit stun, so you can usually lock him and get a pretty good combo off. Problem is, if you're not fast enough, you get stuck back into another chase stage, and I actually hate the chase stage. It's hard to Oh, the chase stage is miserable. I hate it so much. And if you die, you have to do it again anyway. It's very tiresome. I do not like this fight. The thing is, I love love Sorcerer's Apprentice playing during it, because that song just builds and builds and gets more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't, like, build to a real climax in this fight. It just sort of, like... Well, they're just playing it. Yeah, it just has the occasional big hits that happen at certain times in the fight. The the flaw to that is they didn't re-edit the song or adjust it to uh, the, the, the to the action hits, and it is a song with a lot of long, slow sections. So it's a little yeah, yeah. Which is, I said, which is a shame because I said it does. Like I said it does build wonderfully. <laughs> so after this, we finally got rid of that damn spellican. Yep, it's yeah. finally gone! Hooray! It's weird that I returned just to die here. <laughs> yep. You think it'd be so, more important, but it's not. Nope. I love that. And after that, we, we bounce back out. Mickey wakes up. He does this really weird flexing thing where he's just, like, flailing his arms, like, for itself. Uh, just a little quick sidebar. As I say, it's not important. I'm just sort of, like, realizing. Tetsu Yunamura, are you going to make Spellican actually important at some point in the future? Are you going to do this to me? Please don't do this to me, Tessie Nomura. You are going to do this to me, aren't we? I heard rumors that Dream Eaters have special meaning. Oh, they do. Trust okay. me, they do. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get up. Let's go on. Uh, sorry. So Mickey's like, how high person I, I know I, I still met once. I'm just going to. It's nice you helped me. I'm going to leave you in my master's study and just leave and do my own shit. He still has to go fetch the water and he bids Sora see you real soon. I think the bucket's full of water still. Yeah, I guess so. He's carrying them sideways, but they're splashing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sora gets tempted to take Yen Sid's hat, but the sleeping keyhole appears, so he gets too distracted to actually do something dumb. Yep. I mean, it's all, it's really just he just kind of stares at it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, he doesn't even turn to stare at it. He just, he turns when the hat lights up the sleeping keyhole. I could believe Sora would be curious, but yep. that one might be reading a little bit unusually. As we clear it, we get the counterpoint keyblade. I forget what it looks like. Uh, the name of it just makes me laugh because it makes me think of Sora trying to be like a debate bro. Oh, no. Its handle looks like a violin, like with the sculpted wood on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the blade is kind of like blue swooping, not quite music with big star music notes on it. And the end is a treble cuff wearing the sorceress hat with the star. Mm. OK, cool. Let's drop over to Riku's side. So Riku's dive wants you to beat 30 enemies within a time limit. Yay. Not <laughs> I don't know why I'm harping on this, but I just want to. Fair enough. Maybe there's a point for it later. Huh. 
So Riku finds Yen Sid's tower is flooding and decides to check it out. Uh, it's basically water coming from up the stairs. Amusingly, when you get up there, you think it'd be like the original Sorcerer's Apprentice or something's overflowing the water, but no, it's just standing water up on this. <laughs> yep. It's just water. Mickey's magic's out of control, and just like in Sora's Root, the musical score has him trapped. Riku tries to break it with his keyblade, and just like in Sora's Root, Mickey mind melds with him to say brute force won't work. Really the same thing as Sora's side, but we do get one amusing line from Mickey. Gosh, Riku, something tells me you and I are going to be good friends and we'll help each other out a lot someday. <laughs> I know, I know writers, I know writers use subtlety and they're all cowards. Yeah, I have in my notes laying it on a little thick there, game. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, so Riku's like, you know what, I'll totally kick the ass of this music book. Yep, yep. yep. Mickey's like, sends- no, it won't work. Now help me out before I drown. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, Mickey's half in the water at this point, so. (laughs) Mickey sends Riku off to find the sound idea, blah, blah, blah. We get the flashback magical mishap, which is more or less the same thing as we had before. Sorcerer's Apprentice in engine, but then the Spellican shows up. Well, in this one, he's literally, he's activating one of the brooms and making Mm, it carry the water. Yep, yep, that's right. Then he instantly dozes off and wakes up Mm. in water. The brooms just kind of throwing water everywhere, by the way, just haphazardly. Yep. And then and then Spellikin's wandering through the, the Skyscape. Yep. Riku gets a different set of scores in areas, though, doesn't he? Yeah, his, his one is the Nutcracker Suite, mostly Waltz of the Flowers, Arabian Coffee Dance, Trapac Russian Dance, Dance of the Reed Flutes, and Chinese Tea Dance. <gasps> Anyways, <laughs> he goes to a lot of different lands. He goes to, like, a forest, like a slightly re- redone Wonderland forest. Mm-hmm. And he goes through a Golden Forest. And then it goes through a snowy forest. <laughs> snowy forest, as in icebergs, uh, floating in, 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 in icy lakes. In the moonlight forest, I found Lord Cairo again. Here are my notes about that. His frogs kill me. Carol, 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 Carol. I get da- him down to three bars remaining and he fucks off. Get back here. How do I delete you? <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> well, <laughs> so anyways, now we go to the Golden Woods where there's a little full motion playground where we got electroplankton going in the background. Y'all remember electroplankton? That game was weird. <laughs> It was. And that's all I have to say about it. Never actually played it. I've never played it either. I just remember the Electroplankton level in Smash Brothers, which is basically the exact same thing as the uh, musical leaves here in this Flamation playground. <laughs> as I call Golden Forest is a very upward path. Like you have to get yeah. you, basically you're climbing the whole way around yep. a tree for at least part of it. Then the third room is the Snowgleam Wood. It's a frozen lake Flamation playground. And at this point, I noticed in my trophies that it claims I had beaten Lord Kairu, but that can't be right. The trophy system in this game is weird. Yeah, I believe in this one, the traversal puzzles are like you actually create new ice paths. You like open a frozen waterfall at one point, I think. In fact, there's these really weird snow conveyor belts. Like they literally look like snowflakes and it, and it and you and you and you skate on it like any full motion rail grinding. But I keep thinking conveyor belt. Just like in Sora's route, there's not much plot. We eventually get to the sound idea, but then a black curtain falls over Riku and he's swept away to another song. <laughs> It literally is like a side wipe, like from Mario stage, like where a uh, like where a wavy line of darkness goes across and he just falls into an abyss. This particular tune, Night on Bald Mountain, it's the quintessential, like very bombastic evil score. Yeah. Mazorski's piece is just this incredibly powerful. I don't know how even describe it there. It was just simply it's literally described as one of the first tone poems, but it's one of the ones I have a hard time describing it is memorable as hell and fantasia only gave it more power when he gets there he sees crypto hoodie and now jared gets to talk to himself in a scene because this one's fun 
Oh boy, go for it. And my voices are so good. You waiting for me? Yes. The boy chosen by the Keyblade, Riku. What? It was yours first, wasn't it? But you succumbed to the darkness you could not control, and your prize, the Keyblade, passed on the sword instead. Your mistakes always end up being other people's problems. Maybe so, but I'm here to change all that. Once again, you performed predictably, though on a grander scale than I imagined. If you're feeling so chatty, let's skip to where you reveal what this is all about. I don't know how you did it, but you really have found a way to trap darkness inside your heart. And a boy who's immune to darkness is of no use to us. Well, there's some good news. Your abyss awaits. Yep, I have in my notes at this point that Crypto Hoodie, having taken the Oda Nobunaka philosophy of if the cage bird won't sing, kill it, he shows off his limited edition Chernobogan FT. Yeah, well, he's really annoyed because Riku's really just saying how being vaccinated against darkness has helped. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he's not thrilled with that. That goes completely against all his plans and ideologies. Yeah, okay. but as said, so we now we have Riku versus Chernobog. I just want to say, fuck yeah. After Kingdom Hearts 1, where I complained how it was just like a few bars of the ball mountain, this is the, basically the whole piece, and I couldn't be happier. Yep. Unfortunately, this fight is also dive controls uh, completely all the way through. <laughs> Don't care. The song is too awesome enough. <laughs> yeah, this fight was probably better on the 3DS. Because it's like a dive, it has the awkward 3D effect where if it was actually a 3D projection rather than a 2D screen trying to be 3D, it would be a lot better. You could see things coming at you. Like far off in the distance, Chernabog is sending gouts of fire at you, raising pillars of flame, shooting yep. ghosts at you after a bit, and you're slowly approaching him all along. Once you reach him, you strike him and take off one of his three health bars. Yeah, it's basically one of those projectile gauntlets, and you just have to get through it each time. But it's actually really dramatic. It's cool. Oh, yeah. I, I would like it more if the lack of death perception was was less noticeable. It's a bit of a pain to get through, but... And a few things are a bit cheap. Like, I don't think you'd heal, really, because you don't have normal controls. You cannot. And there's a couple cheap attacks, like... Yeah. There's homing ghosts that, that hook onto you and drain your life. You can barrel roll them off you, but you're still going to lose a chunk. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you kind of you kind of you lose. They kind of take away chunks of your margin of error because of that. So it's a, so some things are a little frustrating, but this one only took me two tries. Mm-hmm. Uh, winning increases your deck capacity. Yay. I still can't be bothered to put together much of a deck. It's too annoying to, to gather new commands. Just put a bunch of balloons in there. I can't even get enough balloons for it. After the fight, Riku returns to Yensid's tower. Mickey suggests they try this out idea. And Riku also begins conducting it with his Keyblade. See, manages to look less weirdly happy, happy dippy like Sora. Yep. He's more serious at doing it. Yep. The threatening music mutation from the cursive sheet music is too powerful, but then a second sound idea appears, like in Sora's Root, and the two sound ideas merge to play Dearly Beloved. That is a very good Twitter account. One of the things that I will miss about Twitter. Mm -hmm. Sound ideas destroy the threatening music notation, returning Mickey to normal. And we get this fun little scene. That was amazing. What happened? Sora. Sora. Funny. Hearing that name kind of makes me want to smile. Yeah, that's how he is. What do you know? Riku and Sora. The sound ideas you two set free joined together. And when they did, they made a great and powerful harmony. Sora can find the brightest part of anything and pull off miracles like there's nothing to it. It's pretty hard not to smile around him. Wow! No wonder the music sounded like so much fun. But I bet he's got you to thank for that. Having such a good friend means he could really enjoy it. 
Huh? It's like each of you holding on to the little part of the other. Your hearts are always in tune, so they're free to sing. Gosh, I hope that I can be part of the team someday. You will. Trust me. <laughs> Sleeping keyhole appears. Riku closes it, and he also gets the counterpoint keyblade. So I I, I kind of laugh at them going so hard on the Riku Mickey friendship, but oh. I, I guess they got they gotta. I mean, if you're gonna complain about the Glurgeon uh Cody, oh, yeah. I think you also gotta you gotta call this scene very glurgy, but I really like it. Like yeah. it's charming in a way that they're just kind of like driving home just how important Sora is to this whole equation. So after all of that, we end up with another capstone scene that advances the plot with Yen Sid's tower. Master Yen Sid, gosh, do you think you'll be able to do it? It's clear you cannot teach a cat to bark. But Merlin and the three good fairies are aiding him in a place that's more temporally flexible. My hope is he can at least learn to wield it. He certainly has fire, so I suppose it depends now on how strongly it burns. Oh, but what about Sora and Riku? Well, if we are running on the assumption Xehanort knew what we were planning, that he would still need to have been there, back in the very place and time where the Destiny Islands were lost to darkness. Otherwise, Sora and Riku would have been beyond his reach. Gee, do you really think it's possible Xehanort could have planned things that far in advance? No, as a matter of fact, I do not. But what if he did the same thing as Sora and Riku did and jumped through time? For that to work, a version of himself would have had to have existed at both source and destination. Not even Xehanort can transport his whole body across vast reaches of time. Oh, oh no, I remember. Xehanort did give up his body. It was a version of him that was prefacing Riku. No, he cannot be. Could he be that cunning? Possess that kind of foresight? If it's all right with you, can I go help Sora and Riku out? How? You cannot enter the world of a dream. Where will you go? If Xehanort really is behind all this, then they won't stay in the dream worlds forever. Eventually, they're going to reappear somewhere that we can go reach him. And we can even probably guess the place. Follow the hearts and you'll find the way. That's something Master Aqua told me once. King Mickey. We're going to. Ah, fellas, you're my best pals. But this time, I really do need to go in alone. The dangers are greater than anything we've ever faced before. If something were to happen to Sora and Riku and me, why, you'll be the only ones left to keep this world safe. <sighs> Mickey, I was not able to locate Sora, but I sense Riku's presence in the realm between. Trust your heart, and I know you will find him. Thank you. I promise I'll bring them both back safe and sound. I love the idea that Donald and Goofy are going to be the world's last defense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure they can handle it, right? Donald, get off the floor. Well, we, <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> in Kingdom Hearts 3, we do get the joke that Donald is, in fact, one of the most powerful characters in Almost any of the connected settings, really. So, yeah, but it still see, but it also still seems like he still goes down immediately. Yep. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this this scene is funny because it's basically just we know that Xehanort is like a master schemer. This is just kind of like setting things up as just how master of a schemer is he? How far yeah. ahead could he have seen? <laughs> and the, and that's just just like okay, so so we don't think that he ended up planning all of this out that far ahead of time. John, John, can oh. you do a Leonard Nimoy justice planned? 
Oh, yes. Just as planned. <laughs> nice. Keikaku Dori. Oh, Keikaku. Oh, according means, to Keikaku. Keikaku means plan. Yes. So, but then they decide, okay, well, what if you went back in time in order to do this? Because, you know, we, we've seen people go back in time. Sure, that and makes then, sense. We've been doing that to all game. That's never the good answer to your story. But what if they went back in time? Like, this <laughs> yes. is not, your story is not going to stay simple. Then it's like, but OK, but he would need to have been there physically because of the rules for time travel that we're laying out. And so and then it's like, then, oh, wait, shit, he does. The rules for time travel that aren't timeless river. And then they're like, OK, so he wasn't physically there at that time. And then wait a second. He was possessing Riku at that time. Oh, shit. What? Oh, no. It's not my fault. Yep. <laughs> I am just convinced yet since Shieldy gets liability this entire time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seems totally obvious. He's he's not as bad as Diz is, but he's still just kind of like, I didn't do it. Not my problem. Fuck you. I did what I want. <laughs> yet it's like, fuck you. I wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it for all the Disney worlds and dream drop distance. Wait, what? That was a bit short, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's not that many worlds in this game, huh? Interesting. It's a shorter game than Birth by Sleep. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like feels a bit better because you don't have to go through the same tiny box worlds three times. Yeah. Just twice. It- and they have slightly different things. Though I will say that the finale is a pretty long sequence. Oh, yeah. Oh. Next week, the plot starts towards a dramatic conclusion because we have to go deeper. And once again, Inception reference. Long. <laughs> See, I can't make the Inception references I want to until probably two weeks in the future. Oh, dear. (laughs) The Inception references are probably more apt than you think. Oh, boy, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Jared. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. And strangely enough, Powerhouse. Yes. Wait, what? You know, Powerhouse is the name of the is the piece that basically contains the two extremely distinct, let's call them conveyor belt sequences. If you can imagine oh, it, that's that Powerhouse. One. Yeah, it's the the one that, that plays whenever there's something like weird and mechanical going. I did not know it was called that. There's two distinct segments in it, and both of them were used at different times. Like there's the there's the high there's the high speed like do 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 and then there's the yeah, I know I'm sounding ridiculous, but well, yeah, the, no. there's the the one there's the one that the tune. I, I'm just going to do this. It goes da 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 da. So this is yeah. all public domain music, right? I, well, I honestly don't know about Bios. It's an old piece. Uh, I will say it looks like probably not in public domain. It's Wait, described as it's it's published by Weiss Music Group, and outside the U.S., it's controlled by Warner slash Chapel Music. Fuck. <laughs> What about all the classic music? Classical music. Oh yeah, classical music. Classical music consistently in the public domain. It just okay. Is. So can I yeah. put in the music that is in each of these segments in the episode?
I'd say go for it. I'll give it a try. I'll try and find some uh, the music and actually put the put it in there. We'll have a little bit back and track as a bit Speaking of practice of for in- next series. Just the other night, me and John did a little bit more of Danganronpa 2, and I was just laughing at the 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 music venue on the island, which is Titty Typhoon. <laughs> Considering I'm pretty sure that censorship in the original Japanese is clearly a strip club. It's, I, mean, it's I, I don't know venue. for sure, but it's both. I mean, th- th- those places are places for live acts. Yes. Anyway. We can talk about that in the bonus season. Yep. <laughs> so. I'm just imagining uh, them having a talk, just like, look, I know somebody used the word fuck buddies, but. Oh, no. That doesn't mean. <laughs> oh, no. Friends do this. Oh, no. That's a different category of friends, Sora. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're going to have to make this episode explicit, aren't we? Uh, Sora the Friendly. Yeah, it's just going to be called Sora the Friendly Himbo. No. <laughs> you can remove that one. I was just laughing. It's going to go in anecdotes to keep. And, and, it's not, and they're not even going to be really mad at him because he doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> but they're my best friends, but they're my friends too, and friends should do things together. Oh no! <laughs> Sora, no, Sora, accidental polyamory. I could see it. I could see it just randomly, accidentally, a polyamory. <laughs> I was just laughing about it being like Columbo's wife. You know, you can never really tell if Columbo actually has a wife or if it's just part of his patter. Huh, you actually beat me on that. You've actually beat me on that one. I know what Columbo is, but I don't know anything about the context. <laughs> yeah, I've never Funny. seen it. Okay, um, well, never mind. Let's get back to more, the story. Just one more thing is the only thing I know. <laughs> oh, I thought you were actually going to have one more thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's Columbo. It's the one thing I know about Columbo. <laughs> oh, this is, this is out of control. This is amazing. If Zemnis had a keyblade, he would call it counterpoint or something like that, because Zemnis is the most debate lord of the villains. Oh no. <laughs> well, is John is John read Life and Time of Scrooge McDuck yet? Not, Not yet, yet, I need to. It's been sitting on my uh coffee table with all with my Kingdom Hearts novel collection. And my Calvin and Hobbes collection. That's where all the collector's editions of stuff go. Huh. Well, if you haven't read before, you gotta read it once. Oh yeah, I will have to at some point. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'll have plenty of time come uh holiday week. I think so. So until next time, remember. Or sorry. Nope. Yeah, sorry. Until next yes, time. I remember I'm Matt. Yep. <laughs> you got it memorized? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get anecdotes to keep for sure. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>